Hello, this is Pastor Galen from the First Nazarene Church in Chicago, and welcome to our podcast. Hey, before we hear the message today, I simply wanted to say that no matter where you're at, we're glad that you're listening today. We hope this message will inspire you, instruct you, and help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. And if you live in the Chicagoland area, maybe this is the first step for you joining us in person sometime. Or if you want to, you can always check out our online live services every Sunday on our website at firstnaz.cc. Thanks again for joining us. Enjoy the message. I'd like to introduce our speaker this morning, Brock Morgan, as a, a lifelong youth worker, so I'm already a fan. He is currently the youth pastor uh, in the bridge, at the bridge in Chino, California. Uh, he's written 20 books. Wow, bro. You get up early in the morning to write 20 books, uh, especially his most recently released and uh, actually critically acclaimed the Anxious Teenager, talking about teenagers and their families as they deal with anxiety coming through COVID and just in our culture today. It's a great read. Um, he was our keynote speaker yesterday at, the, at our pa- Helping Parents Win conference, and we are thrilled to have him this morning. Would you help me welcome Mr. Brock Morgan? Man, it's so good to be here with you guys. How are you feeling? Excellent. It's so pretty here. It was like 90 degrees in California when it's too hot. This is perfect. I like this. This is how it is year round here, right? <laughs> I, was, I was thinking back about a story. Um, back in college, it was the first day of class. You know when the college professor goes over the syllabus? Well, he's going over the uh, syllabus. It's a speech class. And uh, all of a sudden, this girl walked in late and like, it was, it was like all of a sudden, it was like a cinematic moment. She all of a sudden started walking in slow mo- motion. Her wind started blowing through her hair. She started to walk and she sat right next to, the, to me, this open desk. And my heartbeat, you know those moments, you're just like, whoa, I need to, like I need to get this girl's attention. And so without thinking, I wrote a note on my notepad and I put it on her desk. Now, I have never been a cool guy. And that was a kind of a cool guy move and it felt really uncomfortable. (laughs) I couldn't believe I did that. I was like, no! But fortunately, she giggled. Giggling is international language for... (laughs) So uh, she wrote back, passed it back to me and we started passing this notebook back and forth. Class after class, week after week, and with each pass, I was falling more and more in love with her until I finally got the courage to ask her out on a date. And when I did, she said yes, and we went out, and it was amazing. And she was just so thoughtful and smart and spiritual, and we're like finishing each other's sentences. And I didn't want the date to end, but... The evening came to a close and I walked her to her dorm room and we're standing there awkwardly. I don't know what to do. And it just flew out of my mouth without thinking. I said, you want to go out again tomorrow? <laughs> like total dork. And she was like, oh, uh, sure. I said, I've got two tickets to a concert. I'd love to take you. She's like, that sounds like fun. 
So I walk across campus to my dorm, walk into my room, and there's my roommate. And I'm like, bro, sorry, you can't go to the concert anymore. I just gave your ticket away. So we went to a concert. The artist's name was Stephen Curtis Chapman. Saddle up your horses, my friends. We sat like five rows back center. They were great seats, about midway through. Uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman goes, uh, which do you have to say his full name? I think you do. He's like, hey, this next song's a love song. If you, you know, if you're sitting next to someone, maybe you want to take their hand during this. And I'm like, Stephen, my man. <laughs> High five from five rows back. And I reach and I take her hand. Did I hold her hand like this? No. It was amazing, and when the song was over, did we stop holding hands? Heck no, I held that girl's hand the rest of that concert. And the next day, she's like, hey, can we meet for coffee? I'm like, yes, we can meet for coffee. And I'm sitting across from her at this coffee shop, and she looks at me, and she's like, yeah, I just wanna be friends. I know, I was immediately heartbroken. Like, oh, my heart sunk into my chest and like, midi, like pit in my stomach. But I, at this point, was used to, to rejection. And so I had trained my face and I was like, oh yeah, friends. I love friends. Let's be friends. And I decided I was going to try and not be awkward or passive aggressive or act weird when I would see her. So when I would see her, I'd be friendly, but I would try not to be too clingy and give her space. And about three weeks go by, and I go to my mailbox, and in my mailbox is a letter. Now, letters are how we used to communicate to one another, for those of you who do not know. Paper, pen. I open up the letter, it's from her, and it has three words in the letter. I miss you. Game on, baby. <laughs> so a few weeks go by, and we find ourselves one evening walking in a park and I'm holding her hand and I have this feeling like this is right. And all of a sudden, it starts to snow. First, dime-sized little snowflakes and then quarter-sized and pretty soon, Silver dollar snowflakes are falling slowly, covering everything beautiful, white. Now there are few times in life when it feels like the sacred has come in to the ordinary and usually it's in moments of silence. The silence after someone we love has passed away. The silence when we take in that newborn baby and we hold that new life. The silence when we first realize that God loves us and he longs for us to have a flourishing life. This was one of those silences and we stopped there in the silence and just gazed at each other as the trees stood heavy white and witnessed and after 31 years, Kelsey and I are still madly in love. You can, yes, come on. It's good stuff. We love, we, we all love love. 
but there isn't there so much distracting us in this in this world I, I remember when I first started hearing about God's love and I honestly didn't know how to respond I didn't know what to do with it and I was distracted by so much anyways but here's the truth and we see this over and over again and maybe you see it in your own personal life that God consistently is longing to capture our attention because he wants to set us free. His love for us is amazing and he wants for you and your family and your friends to have this flourishing, amazing life. But again, there is so much that keeps us preoccupied with everything around us but him. In 2007, there was a major marketing conference that took place in Tokyo, Japan, and so marketers from all over the world flew into Tokyo. They brought in people who could read the coming trends to speak to these marketers to tell them here's what's going to happen over the next five years. And what they were predicting was that teenagers all over the world were going to mount a rebellion and reject cell phones that they were tired of being tracked by their parents, they were tired of companies selling to them 24 hours a day constantly, and there would be a movement, a mass rebellion by teenagers to reject cell phones. That was 2007. In 2010, five million teenagers got a smartphone than had ever had one, five million more teenagers than had ever had one before. Five million teenagers. In 2007, they said teenagers would reject cell phones. What happened to the rebellion? What happened to the movement? Well, at this conference, they talked about what they, they're not gonna be able to sell to a, a group of teenagers who are, to millions of people who are, have a large buying power if they reject the cell phones. We've got to make the cell phone more attractive, more addicting, and they, were successful. So what has happened since 2010? Here's some alarming stats. Self-harm rates are up 62% among 15 to 18 year old girls compared to 2010. Self-harm rates are up 189% for preteen girls, elementary girls, compared to 2010. Suicide is up 45% among 15 to 18 year old guys compared to 2010. Suicide is up 70% among 15 to 18 year old girls compared to 2010. Suicide rate among preteen children are up 151% compared to 2010. Holy moly. That means that millions of teenagers began scrolling all day, comparing their lives to others on social media, they began receiving immediate feedback to their posts, both good and awful. They were now able to play video games wherever they were at any time of day, distracted. There's a, there was a series of experiments in the early 20th century where they got a rat and they would put the rat in a cage by themselves with just two water, uh, bottles of water, one with regular water and one with drug-laced water, and they, well, let's see what the rat will do. Every rat they did this experiment on preferred the drug water, and almost always the rat would die, overdose, very quickly. Now, in the 1970s, Bruce Alexander, a professor out of Vancouver, B.C., 
he decided, he was looking at this experiment and he's like, man, they're putting one rat in isolation in this empty cage. They have nothing to do but sit there and use drugs. He thought, let's try something different. So he changed the experiment. He builds a cage and he calls it the rat pack. Put loads of rats in a cage together. He's, He's like, this will be heaven for rats. They've got loads of cheese, loads of colored toys, loads of tunnels. They've got loads of friends. They're living a connected life and they've got the two bottles of water. Regular water, drug-laced water. Here's the fascinating thing about the Rat Pack. They don't like the drug water. They almost never use it. None of them use it compulsively, and not one of them ever overdose. When they were isolated, about 100% of them overdosed. Now in community, now living a connected life, they never Overdosed. In fact, some of them learned to play instruments and they formed a band. (laughs) When they have connected lives, none of them get addicted. Gang, this is what the the faith offers. Connection to each other. Connection to God. Remember, man, God's love is so overwhelming. Some of us aren't sure how to do it. We're, conne- we're like dis- distracted. But he is longing for us to experience his love, to have a flourishing life, a life connected to his love. So I want to go to the scriptures where we see a generation in a weary land. And I think it actually surprisingly reminds me of what we're experiencing in the world today. It's the story of the Exodus the people of God, Israel, and their journey through the Sinai Desert. And it's one of the greatest survival stories in history. More than two million people wandering through a land of sand and barren rock, homeless, looking for a land of abundance, a place that they can call home. And they're thinking, man, when will life be good? When will life be better? When will life be good again? And in this place, there is no real source of food. Water is about as scarce as it is on the surface of the moon. Jeremiah 2 describes it this way in verse 6. Look at it with me. It's a land of deserts and pits, a land of drought and death, where no one lives or even travels This is more than a moment, honestly, in in Jewish history. It's recorded as one of the greatest analogies of human experiences. Our journey from bondage to freedom. Our journey from the barrens to the promised land. Our journey from dry bones, dead bones, to life, flourishing. Ultimately, it's the precursor to our journey of salvation from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God. And this, this is crazy, this thing. You watch it, and they have this primal drive for life so much, and they're living in this wasteland that they would rather go back to slavery in Egypt than continue on towards freedom. 
And dude, that is sobering. Take me back to the familiar. Take me back to what we know. Take me back to slavery. Jeremiah chapter 2, in response to this, puts it this way. The heavens are shocked at such a thing and shrink back in horror and dismay, says the Lord. For my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me. The fountain of living water, remember that line, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. They prefer their brokenness and their comforts. They're distracted. This is playing out in a post-pandemic, screen-consumed world. We only sort of want God. What we really want is to feel happy, for life to be okay again. But let's look back in the desert at the people of Israel and look at their rebellion to go back into slavery. Numbers 14 describes it for us. Look at it with me. The ni- that night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to, said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only, only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt's slavery. You look at our world today and what you see is this overwhelming drive. I just want to go back. I just want to check out. I don't want to deal with this. I just want to feel happy. And so we keep going back to slavery and distraction and disconnection. I was speaking at our church a few weeks ago and uh, a kid in our youth group came up to me after the service and he walked up. I'm like, what's up? What's up, Josh? What's going on? He, he looks at me and I look closer and he's got tears welled up in his eyes and I'm like, dude, what's going on? And it was like he just had this burden he needed to unload and he just bluntly said it. He's like, Brock, I feel alone. It's, I can't shake it. Even when I'm around people, I feel lonely all of the time and I don't know what to do. These phones, it's interesting, have made us more connected and utterly disconnected all at the same time. And here's the truth. And it's good news. Our God has provision for us. He promises us the river of life, holy water that will actually quench the thirst of our lives and our children's lives. God wants to make his life available to you. And many of us, we're distracted from this offer. But here he is longing for us to jump in with him. I uh, love hiking. I I regularly go hiking. 
It's kind of my thing. I bring my wife and daughter and our dog with, uh, with me uh, from time to time. They love it. One time we were actually hiking in Connecticut in the middle of nowhere. We stumble upon this fast-moving river. You know what I'm talking about, white water. It's insane. It looks ominous, scary, and it's loud, just... <laughs> And you, I don't, if, if you're like me, you guys, it sounds like you have like an adventure sports ministry or something here. I would be signing up for that ride through, uh, do they shoot at you when you ride through uh, Chicago? Is that, a, is that a bad joke? I'm from LA. Don't, don't judge me. <laughs> That's terrible what I just said. I don't work here though, so I'm fine. I'm standing on the edge of this river with my wife and daughter and our dog, and I don't know about you, but I, am, I was like, I must get in. Like, I, we gotta jump in, we, we have to jump in. Now my, my daughter is similarly dense, and she's like up for adventure too. My wife is the intellectual, she's the smart one. And she's like, are you insane? Why would you do that? I'm like, no, we've got, this will be awesome. We could swim to the other side. It's only like 30 or 40 yards. We could swim to the other side. It will be awesome. Let's jump in. And I look at my daughter, and she's like, I'm with you. Let's go, Dad. One, two, three. As soon as we leap into the water, our dog sees us, and he's like, I'm with you. Poof. And he leaps in with us. Now all three have hit this freezing, cold, powerful, fast, loud, moving water, and we just, whoo, we start going straight down river, and we're just up the wave and down the wave, white water taking us under, we're popping up, still swimming, and about five seconds into it, I'm thinking, this was probably not the smartest idea. Somehow we make it to the other side. I'm pulling my daughter to the edge, and then I'm running down, and my dog made it like maybe 25 yards further down. We get there. Our, my wife ran down river, and now we are across from each other, and I can just see her even from 40 yards away. I'm in big trouble. <laughs> she is not happy with me. The life of God is described in Scripture as a, a river, a powerful, gorgeous, dangerous, unceasing, ever-renewing, ever-flowing river, a fountain of living water in a dry land. Jesus uses the language, water that will quench your thirst. Now follow me this river of life. Now, when we're distracted, we're also getting lied to. Like, this can't be true. When we're distracted, it, we almost get filled with apathy at even someone mentioning that our thirst could be quenched, that we could actually live a life of fulfillment and joy, connection. But this river of life, is for now. You can experience God's life today. Jesus stated that the river is meant to flow in and out of our inner being right here in this life. John 7, he says this, look at it with me. 
Starting in verse 37, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. To me. Just come here. Come to me. Open your life to me. I know you don't think I'm true. I know you don't. But what if it is true? What if I am true? Come to me. And drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. This is all about the mighty life of God flowing in you and through you and saturating you like a river. Dude, we are so uninterested. Distracted. It reminds me of the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well that Jesus meets. And he asked her, could you get me a drink? And she is broken and hurting. Has no hope that life could be any different. And in verse 13 of John 4, he says, Jesus answered her and said, everyone who drinks this water, the water she's giving him, will be thirsty again. That's what you've been going to. You've been going to this water. That's why you feel so unsatisfied. But whoever drinks the water I give, they'll never thirst. I, quite a few years ago, I, I got this like my tightness in my chest. I didn't know what it was. I found out later it was like anxiety. And it was like a weight was on my chest. I would go to bed at night and this weight was on my chest and I would go to sleep and I would wake up and that weight was, was still there. And it was just constant. And I didn't know, I didn't know what to do. And I was really struggling. And we would go for family walks. We have done this since the time, I mean, before our daughter was even born, we would go for family prayer walks after dinner, and then when she was born, we would bring her along, and we would just walk and pray and thank God for that tree and the sky and pray for that neighbor and pray for each other and share and talk and pray again. And at this time, this, my, I'm just feeling anxiety and just, oh, I'm struggling, feeling dry, and empty, weary. I think I was burnt out. I was burnt out. And I would drop them off, and I would, I'm going to keep walking and praying. And I didn't know, I didn't know what to say. I just knew that Jesus was the only source who could take this weight from me. I remember when I was little and I would be sick, my dad would come into my room in the dark and I would lay there with maybe an earache or whatever it was and I'm just sick and he would come in and he would rub my head, my forehead and my head and he would just simply pray, Jesus, Jesus. And I would go to sleep hearing the name of Jesus. Peace would come over me. And so I would drop my wife and daughter off at this, this prayer walk and I would continue on and I wouldn't know what to say. I was too overwhelmed. And I would just be like, Jesus. Jesus, take this from me. I'm tired of living disconnected. 
I'm tired of not believing. Jesus. See, when we turn on the quiet, when we are still, when we jump in, then we will, be, we will begin to sense God's spirit working in us, giving whatever it is that you need, exactly what it is you need. But my question is, are you even aware that you're thirsty? Do you know how thirsty you are? I was speaking in uh, Tennessee at this, uh, uh, the state of Tennessee <laughs> uh, youth conference for the United Methodist denomination. About 10,000 kids in this arena. It was really cool. I speak Friday night. I speak Saturday morning, and I'm getting ready to speak uh, Saturday night. And my job is uh, the band finishes, the lights go down. This is a huge arena, 10,000 people. It's really cool. I'm supposed to walk out. I hit my mark. Lights turn on. I start to uh, speak. So I get out there. I get in my spot. Stage lights on. I start to speak. And then I look, and I notice there are three girls at the foot of the stage standing just right here in front of all these other kids. And I'm like, so I bend over, and I'm like, hey, what's, what's going on? Are you guys okay? And I notice they are weeping. They're weeping. And the middle girl looks at me, and she goes, what you've been talking about with Jesus, we want that. Brock, we, we want what you're saying, and we couldn't wait. And I looked at them, and I was like, well, I'm kind of, and i got to do this talk thing. Now, I, I looked at them, and I was like, okay, Right after my talk, I'll meet you right over there, and we're going to pray together. Do you know that you're thirsty? Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary or hurting or broken or filled with anxiety or addicted or confused or thirsty or exhausted, and I will give you life and rest and peace, and I will quench your thirst. So daily, I go to Jesus, the river of life, the fountain of life. Daily, I surrender myself to him. Daily, I bring my children to the fountain of living water. God wants to wake us up because with all of the noise, somehow we have been numbed and distracted into sleep. He wants to wake us up. He wants to wake us up to himself because only he can satisfy you and me. I remember my wife walking into our family room. I was in my mid-20s, and she said, uh, Honey, I'm pregnant. I'm like, What? Men who've experienced this, you know what I'm talking about. It. You have shock and horror that fill you, and also joy all at the same time. It's very confusing. Shock and horror and joy enter your being, and it causes you to respond in a weird way. Honey, my ego is prego, and you, your response is... <laughs> you like, it's just... Because you're, ju you're conflicted. Now, my wife had had and has had many miscarriages. 
our, our, our story is, it's heartbreaking, actually. And I was, the whole time she was pregnant, I was scared. And watching her, um, you feel so powerless. As, and I'm sure she felt that too. As a husband, I'm just, I feel powerless. But I remember when we went to the hospital. And again, I, it's, I'm still afraid. And I'm standing next to my wife. And our daughter is born. And she comes out and the doctor is holding her in his hands and she's not moving and her arms are folded like this on her chest and her eyes are closed and her skin is gray blue and I'm standing next to my wife and I'm like I don't think my wife could handle this, a stillborn baby. And the doctor is holding her and he looks at us and he goes, Kelsey, Brock, shh, your daughter's asleep. And he looks at me and he goes, Brock, do you wanna cut the cord? And I was like, doc, I'm a man. Yes, but see, one of my friends told me that real men don't cut the cord, they bite the cord. <laughs> I feel like some of you are judging me right now. And so I took the cord. No, I didn't do that, are you insane? <laughs> are you crazy? It's disgusting. I took the uh, clippers from, uh, from Home Depot that he handed me. <laughs> And I took the cord and I went, and as soon as I cut the cord, our daughter woke up. And her eyes opened and color started to come to her skin. And for the first time, her heart pumped on its own blood through her veins and her arms stretched out and her head moved back and forth. And she became aware of this brand new existence, this brand new world right in front of us. She became beautifully awake. God wants to wake you and me up. Ephesians 5.14 says this, wake up. Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and the light of Christ will shine on you. Wake up. Wake up. And so each day I wake up and I say, O fountain of living water, O light of the world, consume me. You know the fruit of the Spirit is what exactly our world needs. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, forbearance, self-control. <sighs> Wake me up. Will you pray with me? And if you're comfortable, can you maybe open your hands like this? Close your eyes and 
close your eyes where you're at and open your hands if you're comfortable and just under your breath, can you say, maybe you're a skeptic and you're like, I don't know if I believe this. But maybe you're courageous enough also to simply say, Jesus, if you're real, work in my life. Can you just say that to him? God, if you're real, work in my life. Wake me up to you. Some of you have been burning the wick at both ends and you are exhausted. Can you just say to God, God, give me rest. Give me peace. Fill me with your spirit. Right now, Lord, I pray for every person in here that we would not go to anything, all these other alternatives. Instead, we would run to your son, Jesus. And when we seek him, I pray that each person in here would find him. In your name we pray, amen. Hey, thanks again for joining us for the First Naz podcast. If you're interested in what your next step in growing your relationship with God might look like, I'd encourage you to visit us at firstnaz.cc engage, or you can download our app from the app store, First Nazarene Church. And there you can let us know if you've made a decision for Jesus, or you can also find practical resources to help you grow closer to Jesus. I'd also invite you to subscribe to the podcast if you're not already to make sure that you've always got the latest content. And if you want to, feel free to share this on your social accounts. You never know who else might need to hear today's message as well. Well, thanks again for joining us. Have a great day.